You're listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with Outfluencer, Dr. Wayne Purnell. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Breakthrough Success Coach. With me today is Sarah Bierstock. She's Amazing. I uh, I got to meet her. I felt like I met her before. Like it's one of those kinds of things where I know we've met before. And so we uh, I we were at a dinner and we got to talking and I thought, you have got to be on my podcast. So on One Sharp Sword, uh, Sarah, welcome. Thank you. I am very happy to be with you today. I am very happy you are here. Like you're kind of a badass. You in the past decade, only seven years actually, you've written uh, gazillion plays. All right, four, but uh, <laughs> it's well, five. Yes, right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's a gazillion or four. Right. Um, it's been quite a decade, though. I mean, you're you're writing, you're acting, you're. Uh, you're actually living your dream in so many ways, right? Is that true? It's a beautiful way of thinking about it. I definitely feel like my life kind of came together all at the same moment. Um, the same time I was performing and writing was also the same time that I had two children right in succession. So it did feel like a, a, a sort of a bada bing, bada boom decade for sure. Like what was I doing before then? Because suddenly why is it all happening at the same time? But yes, it's been a prolific time. So let's, let's talk about that. What were you doing before then? Because you don't accidentally become a playwright. Mm. Whoops. I wrote a play. Whoops. I wrote another one. Hey, whoops. They've gotten some acclaim. Um, They've been on Broadway. They've been off Broadway. Um, You know, and your acting has taken you uh, in various directions as well. So I like the backstory because, you know, for our audience, there's this sense of, is it possible? Like, is it possible? So what started you down the path of um, acting? And then what made you think, what made you think you could be a writer? Like, seriously, right? Um, Because so many people think they can't be, right? So for you, you were like, I'm going to try it. So what, what led up to all this? Where'd you grow up? I mean, if you want to start there, like, I met you in New York. Did you grow up there? I am from New York. I'm not from New York City. I'm from Rhinebeck, New York, which is about an hour and a half north of here. And um, I'm going to answer your question in succession because it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um, I, I started acting and singing and dancing when I was about nine. That's when I started taking lessons. Um, I believed that I was going to be the fifth little girl on the uh, television series Rags to Riches. And I'm, I'm dating myself here. So anybody from the 80s that remembers that show, you know, it was five orphaned children who were adopted by this man and they would sing and dance to 50s and 60s songs. And I convinced myself I was, you know, going to be on the show. So um, I started lessons and I was performing really my whole childhood. I went to uh, a conservatory for a voice and dance and theater in addition to a regular high school. And I never doubted that that's what I was going to do. I was just on that track so young and went to NYU for musical theater and 
you know, it wasn't a smooth sailing ship for me. I certainly, um, I left NYU. I went to school in Galway, Ireland for a little while. I took a little bit of a break from acting. Um, but when I came back and I eventually did come back to New York City, I fought hard to get my equity card. That's a whole other different story now, but um, began performing. And there was a long gap of time before I started writing. And I never, ever, ever sought out to be a playwright. Um, it was it it was initially a bit of an accident. Um, the The reason that I think that it has turned into the opportunity making uh, success that it has was because I my intention was pure. My intention was I'm writing because I have something to say. My intention was I. Uh, I feel compelled to write because something huge is in, in my heart and in my mind. And I didn't write with an agenda. And what was one of the most freeing experiences of my life was that it was not precious to me the way performing was. Um, I, I had this freedom in my own expectation. I had a freedom to fail. I had a freedom to um, not try to be good at it, but to just simply write because something was important to me. And because I've been in the theater my whole life, that was just the avenue that I started writing in. This is amazing. Uh, I am making notes as you talk. This is, you know, uh, here's the first thing, right? I want to I wanna underscore this. The first thing is you had a belief about yourself. Mm-hmm. And that was the belief that I'm going to be on TV. And um, whether or not you got there, you had a belief that started you down a path. And I think that is huge is can you believe in yourself enough to start down the path that is your passion the other thing you talked about in addition to the details uh, just to back it up a little bit is the concept of intention without attachment right it was like i had this intention of just i said what i needed to say and without you know a lot of a lot of new authors will, will hold off until it's perfect. A lot of new authors will do the opposite, which is, I am writing my book. It's going to be a million, you know, multi-million dollar bestseller. It's going to be. Yeah. And it's like, do you have something to say? Is your message important enough to affect the life of one person? And is your message important enough that you need to get it out of you? Like uh, you also use the word compelled, which I thought was, oh, it's so great. Like people in my experience, you know, I do coaching and in my experience, the, the thing that trips people up is that they ignore the compulsion. Mm. Like oh, I was compelled to do it, but I, I, I stuck to the supposed to instead. Yeah when you talk about intention without attachment and following this path of, I felt compelled, there is true freedom. That's amazing. It's really great. Um, In your bio, just to back it up a little bit, there's um, because you went to, uh, you went to school college in Ireland, you have a degree in the philosophy of art. Mm. what is that? What does that mean? Yeah. It means I was lucky enough to go to a school that let me create my own major. I graduated from Bard College. And when I got there, I had two years at NYU. I'd studied both, been in their conservatory program for musical theater and also had started studying philosophy. 
when I got to Ireland, I studied almost exclusively philosophy and I was performing, but I was only studying philosophy. So when I transferred to Bard, I had, you know, affectionately 87,000 credits. And I said, I'm, I just cannot start over. You know, I was in my third year and I, um, they have the kind of thinkers there that allowed me to sit down with the board and say, can I propose my own major? I have all these philosophy credits. I have all these theatrical credits. Would you allow me to build a focus that could merge these ideas? And they said, well, you know, what do you have in mind? And I said, well, why don't I take these couple of philosophers and pick out one particular ideology I'd like to explore and see if I can make it theatrical. The grand irony was my, my piece was not particularly theatrical. So I learned, I learned a lot about um, it, what doesn't work theatrically on stage, but that's, you know, it, the point wasn't to write a great play. The, the point was to, to try to investigate a certain philosophic concept yeah. uh, theatrically. So that's what I did. I, I proposed this, this major, they let me do, I wrote a one act play about a specific idea and then I wrote a thesis sort of talking through the, the my intention behind that one act. And it was performed and I, you know, sat down with my board and that's what they gave me my degree in. That is fabulous. Do you mind uh, sharing what the philosophy was that you pursue? Well, I called the play The Lack. And to tell you the truth, it is so far away from my mind at this particular point that I don't really feel like I would be doing it justice to go into any kind of real detail. But, um, you know, someone asked me recently how much my study of philosophy, you know, set me on a course in terms of what I'm interested in writing and exploring. And I would say it's funny. It's like, um, there was a time when I first came back to New York where, where more exploratory theater was really interesting to me. Um, and I, I'm always fascinated by someone trying to do something different. But the reality is, I, it was like a very specific period of time where my mind was really engaged and really uh, inspired, like Richard Foreman's type of work. But I, it, it's almost like another life where that just kind of started the ball rolling, but it wasn't like I got attached to that and that, that's the only type of work I'm interested in writing or thinking about. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it lives. If I reread it today, I could tell you more about it, but it's, it's been a minute. <laughs> it's been yeah. A minute. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I totally get it. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, my doctorate's in clinical psych and people are like, well, what about this person? And what about that person? And it's yeah. like, uh, they were interesting in grad school and they have, uh, you know, I'm certain that some of the theories have stuck with me. Uh, it's not how I live my life quoting this person or that person. So I, I totally get it. Well, what, what I, what I have retained is that, you know, you can't study philosophy without getting really sort of entrenched in, uh, you know, kind of the objective versus the subjective realities. And that's always stayed with me. And I'm sure that's very much part and partial to what that piece was about. Um, but that, you know, anytime you're creating, Anytime you're living and paying attention, you have to pay attention to what's objective versus subjective. And that can be kind of, uh, you know, a lifelong work if you if you choose to make it. Truly. Yeah, truly. So. um, Wow. All right. You have uh, you have five plays. I, I said four. So you have five plays. I have four full lengths and one short play. So I call it five. Yeah. That's great. And um, there, it's interesting because I did look through it on your website 
sarahbeardstock.com. Uh, you have the plays uh, outlined and they're all different and yet they're all linked. Can you talk about that? Like they are unique and they are, there's sort of this Sarah-ness to them, right? That's like... Well, speaking of subjective, yeah, I'm not sure how much choice I have in that because they're all coming from from my mind, right? And, yeah. and, and also because they were created quickly in a short period of time in terms of works of writing. Sometimes you'll see someone's got a much larger canon of work and they've been writing for 30 years and so they've been changing or they've been growing and changing and their style's changing and, and what they're interested in exploring and what they can offer is changing. Whereas my plays were all written... I started in 2014. The first play was produced for the first time in 18. So from 2018 to 2021 to have four plays, there's going to be a lot of similarities and themes and, and, and um, just what, what of myself is being brought into the work because I'm changing, but I'm not changing over 20 years period of time. Right. Um, the four plays, how are they different? Well, they're different in that the f- Honor Killing is extremely political. It's very socially charged. Um, It's about big, heavy ideas and concepts that I was interested in exploring that were sort of percolating in my mind for years. So when I wrote it, it came out kind of as a great big dump of a lot of big ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can explain that a little bit more in detail, but just to sort of check off the list. So you have this one big, heavy, sort of dramatic, political piece Um, The next thing I wrote was called MAD, which was an acronym for Mothers and Daughters. Um, It is dark. It's almost a farce. It's highly satirical. It's a lot of almost slapstick silliness in it. But it's five women that are all handling and dealing with very, um, very real issues, whether that's um, divorce or disease or a mental illness or... um, You know, they've all got real life burdens that they're navigating together. Um, But there's a ghost involved. Like it's it's silly. There's a playfulness and trying to handle some big, heavy ideas. Whereas with honor killing, it's not playful. It's really in your face. It's really intense. And mad kind of backs off and laughs at itself a lot all the way through. Um, uh, the next two, I got a commission to write a children's play, and that was based on a myth of my choice, and I chose Pandora's Box. Mm. Um, that's a two-hander, and so for your, for your non-theatrical folks, that's um, two, two, only two actors. So you have one actor playing Pandora, and you have another actor playing seven other characters. Um, that play is written for the age groups of seven to ten, and... Um, is really designed to help children get some coping skills. And I wrote it smack in the middle of the pandemic. And um, I chose that piece because I felt so desperate to make a positive contribution in, in any way that I could. And I felt like using my voice to create characters that were potentially able to give little kids some coping skills, some literal tangible coping skills um, was really the the best thing I had to offer. Um, It's also a little silly because of the groups. Um, um, Graceland 2.0 is a similar idea and that I was hoping to give coping skills, Um, but it's a much older group. They're 14 to 17. And again, four young women that are um, all really talented. There's a hip hop dancer. There's a spoken word artist, a pianist and a visual artist. 
and they are again coming together to find a way to give each other hope um and i think i guess you're asking me the through line between them really is everybody's everybody's pretty smart everybody's pretty um quirky and um dynamic but flawed like life like life (laughs) They're real. These are real people really talking to each other. Um, you know, I don't like to be bored in real life, so I don't like my characters to be bored. You know, they tend to be pretty loquacious and pretty, pretty quippy and fast and smart. That's great. That's great. So do you, do you have something that inspires you as you write? Is it's like, like the compulsion to write is, oh, this must come out. Here's this story or here's this thing. Um, is there anything that particularly inspires you? Like, oh, dang, that's like, yeah, I've got to write about this. Or, you know what? I'm in my happy place. Of course, I'm going to write. Uh, it's interesting. I tend to not write at all, as in zero writing. Mm-hmm. until something just gets me going, whether that's intellectually or spiritually or socially, something has to move me. And I can't tell you it's one particular thing. Like with Honor Killing, it was a news story. Mm-hmm. Um, with the, the both of those children's plays, you know, I'm living through a pandemic. Oh, I, you know, all the obvious reasons for wanting to contribute something positive compelled me. Um, when I don't feel inspired, I typically just keep living and until I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, people have such different relationships to writing. I, you know, I'm, I'm a singer, so I would be much more apt to sing every day to be, you know, um, to have that kind of just jo- joyous discipline around singing as opposed to waiting to sing until I felt compelled. Whereas with writing, I'm not going to dive in unless I have something really specific to say. Great. So do you sing every day? Um, no, but I, when I do, I'm happier. Yeah. Hey, most people are just like <laughs> singing is, is like joyously free. Right. So whether it's you know, in your shower or, you know, for those that have cars and, and drive, it's like roll up the windows and sing really loud. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you what you're working on next. Like what's, what's coming for you? Like what is inspiring you now? You're most, most writers and playwrights that I've met are, are amazingly great social commentators. Hmm. And right. And, and that's what you've done. You just described how, what you saw was really, you know, something that needed to be commented about without necessarily saying this news story caused this reaction in me, but it's, it's a broader issue or it's something that everybody needs to pay attention to. What's um, yeah. What do you, what are you seeing in your life or, you know, what's sort of like, you're not compelled to write, but what's brewing for you now? What's next? Well, a couple of different things. Um, for starters, I just was involved in a play about the life of Artemisia. And I don't if you're familiar with her, she's an Italian playwright, um, she, playwright an Italian painter. Um, and she was living uh, at the end of the 
1500s, early 1600s. And a friend of mine, a playwright named Janice Maffei, wrote a great new play about her. And um, I was given the honor of portraying Artemisia in that. And I just did a reading of that. I'm going to help her try to um, get it on its feet because I think here we have another um, really strong, prolific, creative female artist that I, I, I like to support and be a part of female stories. So I'll continue to take that journey with that play. Um, but I'm actually building my own production company because I want to be able to tell my own stories as well as other people's stories. And I have, I have big visions for it to have a lot of different legs. So it will be film, television, theater. And if I can get the kind of uh, platform I'd like, I may add audio and print to that as well. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Excited. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not a not a small undertaking. It's like, oh, I just, you know, I think I'll start my own company. Um, that's called the entrepreneurial seizure. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's overwhelming. And so to recognize that and to step in anyway is a big deal. So apparently my cat. <laughs> my cat understands that. That was a uh, very clear message from your cat. Indeed. Do it. You know, sometimes indeed. you just step up there and do it. <laughs> So, that's right. so for those on audio only my cat just walked across my desk for those on video you got to see and may still be seeing the cat you're listening to one sharp sword cutting through to what matters most with dr wayne purnell want to move beyond kindness yep kindness is nice but it doesn't go far enough Dr. Purnell has started a movement focused on rehumanization. That starts with one. You. Go to startswithone.com for a free and quite fun challenge. You'll get emails for the next 21 days to guide you to making a more significant difference in the lives of others. Startswithone.com. Startswithone.com. And now back to one sharp sword cutting through to what matters most with Dr. Wayne Purnell. This is great. This is really great. Like, uh, I don't know where else to, to take you. There's so much to talk about. I feel like, you, you know, your background is so unique and yet, um, you know, the theme of it's almost the theme of I must versus I should. Right. It's it's like I must tell a story. I must dance. I must freely express. I must lift others. And that's kind of this. That was the spirit that I got from you when we had dinner mm. in that group was just this. Oh, there's something inside of you that's exciting and must come out. So that's really it's great. That's interesting. Yeah, should has never really been part of my vernacular. I mean, it, it maybe it maybe it should more than it does, and I, it certainly does in terms of my taking care of my children. But I've really never taken the easier paths in front of me. Um, I, I just don't really have it in me. I'm I'm very driven by what's inside and what what sort of my truth is. Um, I, you know, it was interesting when you said early on here that. I had a belief system as a child that I could be on television because when you said that, I never thought about that before. 
I never thought, oh, well, I had that belief so early. It, it, yeah. I, I never connected that thinking to the fact that it actually set the entire trajectory in motion. So thank you for pointing that out because um, that's really interesting. Yeah, my work is mindset, right? So yeah. the whole idea of we hold ourselves back based on our beliefs or we have these quantum leaps. We can't explain why, you know, a school kid can suddenly do things. And it's like, well, it's not suddenly. It's There's a lead up to it. And everything about the belief put these things in place. And that's true for adults too, right? You wouldn't be writing plays if you didn't think that there was, I mean, you might write plays just to put them on a shelf, but I believe, I believe about your belief, mm-hmm. that your belief is that of course they'll, of course they'll see the light of day. Right. Yeah. And my husband would said to me when I was first writing my first play, hi kitty. He, <laughs> he said, um, for the audio listeners, I, he did not say <laughs> hi kitty. <laughs> um, the cat made an appearance. Another one. Uh, yeah, he said, don't you, know, don't you think you should uh, take a playwriting class or something? And I, I laughed because I was like, absolutely not. I've been doing this since I was nine years old. I, I understand plays intrinsically from the inside out for the last 30 years. You know, not that I shouldn't wouldn't learn from a playwriting class, because of course I would. But but that I didn't feel in any way like I didn't have the tools I needed to be successful at it without that, um, that, that, that wouldn't stop me from writing it or from trying or starting or, you know, be prohibitive in some way. It's, so, it's like giving a painter a paint by numbers uh, book. It's like, shouldn't you go back to the basics? It's like, mm. yeah. And, and, but I, I say that sort of like with a wink and a nod at myself, as I guess that was sort of foolish of me. I mean, he had a point, but to your point, you know, <laughs> the belief system really is everything, right? Uh, you know, I, I didn't doubt that for a minute. Um, yeah, you could, I mean, certainly you learn from theory. And as long as you don't let the theory squash the creativity, I think it's an amazing journey, right? To understand what has, what were the basics? Oh, yeah, I got the basics along the way. Somehow I got them. Now right. understand how they fit or that they have a name. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, very often they uh, can, uh, squash the creative, you know, the creativity that, that can come through otherwise. So, yeah, I guess that's, that's great. What, so, so one of the questions that I like to, to ask is about leadership mm-hmm. and whether or not you see yourself as a leader mm-hmm. and what leadership lessons do you think you've picked up that you could pass along along the way? I do see myself as a leader. Um, I think when you mentioned before about large undertakings being daunting, that I typically don't feel that way. I, I certainly have moments where I feel overwhelmed because I realize how much work there is to be done. Um, but it's not daunting when you break it down into small to-dos. And I think that that's been one of my sort of, uh, I've been very lucky to have that sort of skill set in that it's not hard for me to, to 
make a small list every day about the first couple of steps and then to start that and be able to make the next small list. So um, I, I think one of the greatest skills of being a leader is, is having a large vision and how to take, um, not be afraid to, to look larger at a broader picture and then be able to, to itemize it down into very practical steps that can be taken to get there. Love it. I love it. Um, leadership is about having a larger vision and leadership is about stepping in and doing the hard stuff, even if it's hard or doing the hard stuff because it's hard or doing the hard stuff. Um, maybe not even recognizing that it's hard. You're just doing it. And then the other thing is uh, uh, the term I use is chunk it down. Right, put it into into bite-sized little chunks that that you can handle. Any major thing, this is project management, right? It's like anything that's major, you put it in chunks. If you're gonna clean your house, you clean one room at a time, not all of them. Mm-hmm. A little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here. It's like mm, you sort of have this methodology. So uh, I love that. I love that, and um, that really is leadership. That really is leadership, and stepping in and saying, okay, it's. I'm undaunted. I love that too. You know? Yeah. I mean, I remember talking to someone in my life who, um, who I consider sort of a mentor who has a, a tremendous responsibility in her position. And she had asked me my opinion about something she was trying to problem solve on. And I, I, I thought that I had said something or suggested something clever and she was quiet and listening. And then she, when she responded, her response to my suggestion was, you know, it was 10 steps past what I had already suggested because she was looking at the whole institution. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking at this chapter and she had the entire institution in mind. And I was really taken aback because I think you have to give yourself permission to think that way. Um, I remember feeling in that moment that I had not previously in my life given myself permission to think really broadly like that. Um, And I don't know whether that was just my own shortcoming or society or, you know, where we like to to place women in the chain of things. But um, that really struck me and stuck with me to have watched her go, yeah, but I'm going to blow this all the way out and let's get to, you know, the, 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 the overall mission of the entire institution. It's huge, Sarah. This is, um, it's a human condition. You know, we get onto, and it's back to the supposed to's, we get onto the, well, you know, I really should look at this section only, or I really, you know, I'm going to stay in my lane. I've been told to stay in my lane. Um, or I signed up for this career. I did this training. I'm in my career. Mm-hmm. And, and what you said was essentially to give yourself permission to think bigger. And that is gigantic in terms of a mindset shift. It's, it's huge for really anybody at any stage in their life. Because a lot of people are like, well, you know, it's too late for me. And it's like, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not too late. Uh, really the, just to approach your dreams, you know, what are the dreams that you have for yourself? What permission do you need to actually live the life that you want to live and, um, and to create and to live in that space of creativity? I love this. Love this. So 
It's pretty bold. You know, it's a bold um, trust you have to have in yourself to do that. Uh, And and I, I guess if I can give that to my daughters or to anyone else through my artwork, I guess my, that would be my greatest contribution. That's huge. I often ask about legacy and, um, no, I just want to, I just want to highlight what you said, right? Bold trust in yourself. Um, it's huge because if you look around, you'll see that there are so many people that don't, they don't have that. They don't feel it. They don't feel like they can, uh, boldly trust themselves. They trust the safety of what they know, but they don't boldly trust themselves. And that's, there's a difference, right? Because your creative process isn't based on, well, I wrote something, so let me write something similar. Mm-hmm. Your creative process is <laughs> what's going on in the world? How am I evolving? How do I use myself as an instrument to reflect what's going on in the world and my own personal evolution? Um, and then you put it on display. Mm-hmm. And most, yeah, yeah. most people are allergic to being judged. So yeah. huge. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's very different. You're you're on display both as a playwright and you're on display as an actor, and they both feel challenging for different reasons. It's it's um, wonderfully freeing to hide behind a character, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when it's your voice, that's pretty personal. People have a lot of judgment about that. Um, so eventually you have to divorce yourself and just say, this is not, you know, it came through me. These were, this is my creation. This is my, these are my ideas. I developed it, but eventually it's, you know, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Amazing. That is, that's amazing because I've seen, I've seen the other side, which is, um, you know, don't, it's my baby. Don't tell me I have an ugly baby. Right. So, um, (laughs) so for you to say, Ah, it came through me. It's it's something that needed to come through and out of me. And now that it's there, your judgment is your judgment. It doesn't affect me. It's- yeah, and that doesn't happen overnight. You know, that that takes a while. And it's, you know, you, I've sat through many talkbacks from audience members and and learned, you know, your best of intentions, the, the, what was crystal clear to you and what you wanted to explore. You, again, back to that early part of the conversation around subjectivity and objectivity, people are going to get what they're going to get from their own life experience. And you cannot do anything about that. Just you'll, you, there's, you, just, you just have no control in that way. So it's, it's literally pointless to try. You have to just stay true to the idea that you're trying to explore and let the rest go. <laughs> That's so great. And, and it's a, it's an insight again, I think that, that is often overlooked, you know, that people can only reflect the things they know. And I think for you as an artist, it's a matter of putting up, it's almost like a shattered mirror in many ways. It's like, this is going to reflect you, but it's going to reflect you and other things as well, which I think is truly art. That's what art does for me. It's like, it's going to move me. Either I'm going to be compelled to look deeper or I'm going to be repulsed. Awesome. Either way, that's going to be fabulous, right? That's art. So, um, yeah, so exciting. (laughs) And if nothing else, it it spawns conversation. And that's the part that's most interesting to me. Something I've written causes somebody to have a reaction. 
it's elicits something. It means that it's either bothered them or inspired them or turned them off or, 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 or open to their mind, whatever it is, you know, to think that something that you create can cause somebody to have a new idea or challenge their own thinking in some way. That's to me, that's about as good as it gets. It is. That's, you know, sparking somebody with a new idea that they have to talk about is pretty darn good. What, um, if you were to say, you know what, I wish I create and I wish that people would come away from my work saying the following, what would it be? Oh gosh. Um, so many things. I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is, um, I'd want them to have questions. I think mm -hmm. I'd want them to say, I'm, I'm law, you know, I'm, I'm processing. Cause I, I do tend to write sort of layered material. It's yeah. not really straightforward in that I I'm writing on a couple levels. And so I would want them to feel compelled to talk to someone else in the audience about, did they have a similar experience and did they feel, um, did they get what they got? Like, I guess what I'm looking for is a collective conversation about what moved them. And did they, did they, did they feel lifted or challenged in some way? I think I'm trying to challenge people. Now that you say that, I think I'm trying to challenge them. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty provocative idea, but I guess, I guess that's what I'm doing. Well, the challenge is for a different perspective, right? The challenge is to think differently, you know, yeah. to be affected in some way before they, before they came and that they are changed somehow with a broader perception after they leave, right? It was, uh, I may mess this up, the Emerson quote of um, a mind once stretched by a new idea never returns to its original dimension. Mm. That's cool, yeah. And that's... That is the work of an artist, you know, is for you to say, look in here and they go, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. their mind is expanded. And, um, and, and, you know, for if there's, do you ever listen? Do you ever, I don't know if your plays are long enough actually to have a, an intermission. Mm -hmm. Do you ever go out and listen at intermission time? What's being talked about? Sometimes that can be. Um, painful, but yes, I mean, and I've certainly sat in enough audiences where as soon as the lights come up, even if it's a 90 minute where there's no intermission, people start, you know, right away, but, but you can, you can feel too, if you're sitting in that house, you can feel the energy of the space. You can feel if people are bored. You can feel if they're, their body language, if they're moving, if they're getting stressed, if they're getting excited, like it's, it's a very visceral energy in an audience. Mm -hmm. um, so even if I don't get to hear the words, um, I can feel it. Um, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I do hear what they say. And of course it's, <laughs> if you want them to have positive things to say, that's not always the case. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite work of your own? What's your favorite work that you've created? Um, gosh, I'm really proud of honor killing. Mm. I'm proud of it because the subject matter is really important to me. It's, um, it follows a story, a, a, a story, the real life story of a woman that was killed in an honor killing in Pakistan. Um, and it also simultaneously talks about a gang rape in the United States. And so there's this, 
the, the protagonist is causing you through what through her actions to make you pause and say, okay, well, we as Americans often have this idea of the other and the other culture and what they do wrong and how we're right. But really, what are we doing back in the United States and how does misogyny show up and violence show up in our culture? And so it's a really, it's a broad global look at misogyny and violence and technology and kind of accountability it covers a lot of really big ideas and i that was all really important to me to talk about to own to you know there i there i've often had people say to me i didn't even know honor killings existed and so that you know i feel very proud to bring some awareness to that um certainly I'm, I'm not trying to be the poster child for anything, but just to say, this is an important conversation and I'm glad to, to contribute to it. Um, I'm also proud of, of Pandora, the Pandora story, because um, there was a, um, a reading of it at Florida studio theater. And um, you forget sometimes that theater can have a tangible result for someone. So this, the whole concept of the play was, is that, if you're struggling with something like just say anxiety, so this could be a child or an adult that you could imagine this is a meditative exercise, putting your anxiety into a suitcase and setting the suitcase onto a boat and standing separately from it and watching the boat sail off with your bag on it. And you're still, you, you still are okay, but your anxieties are over there. Mm -hmm. And um, so my version of this adaptation is about a child who's dragging around this suitcase, who eventually sets her suitcase free. And her big experiment is how is she going to feel when she no longer has her anxieties attached to her. And um, the play is about learning other coping skills to help you deal with anxiety rather than having to drag around this big suitcase. And one of the parents turned to the children's theater programming director and said, my daughter and I are going home to make a suitcase right now. And I, I got to hear this through the, I wasn't there because of COVID, but I could hear it through, through the, through the, through the zoom and just took my breath away. I was like, Oh my God, you forget, you forget. I forget sometimes when I'm just trying to get this idea out and get it, you know, as tight as it can be with real characters and believably told and with the right action. And, and suddenly some mom is saying to her nine-year-old, you know what, we're going to go do that because this is important. And I'm, that, I'm really proud of that. Yeah. Oh, you should be. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's yeah. mm, that's so good. That's so good. I mean, you know, uh, just the, that's legacy. You know, you touch a life that touches a life that touches a life, and you you're creating these ripples in the lives of people you've never met, and that's fabulous. That's really great. So here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you were hoping I would talk about or you were hoping I'd ask that I haven't touched on yet? Do I have a cat? Because I know you have one. Do you have a cat? <laughs> I don't have a cat. I had cats as chill, as a child, but I don't have a cat now. No, I think I'm joking. I think you, um, I think you touched on everything I wanted to talk about. Yeah. All right. Is there anything you, you, uh, any any other words of uh, wisdom, of artistry, of leadership, of uh, powerful Sarah? Anything that that you want to close with? Well, I'm looking at your sword behind you. That's that's 
thrusting into this river, is it? Well, actually, so this is the logo of one sharp sword cutting yeah. through to what matters most. And for me, this is actually the the logo is the sword being offered by the sea. Mm. And the sea is eternal and it's powerful. And the sword has a job and it needs to remain sheathed until it does its job. Right. So it's, it's sort of like this potential of power. And that's why I chose this. I, I had this drawn for me based on that's a sword. Uh, that's an image of a sword that I used to carry. Mm. Um, and the sea was, I grew up near an ocean and always found that powerful. So, um, uh, some people have said this is a, you know, it's sort of this very sensual or even sexual kind of, uh, image. And it wasn't the intention. Um, that said, you'll see what you want. <laughs> what you choose sure. to um, <clears throat> for me, it is the ocean offering, which is power offering up this powerful tool. The idea of one sharp sword being stronger and much more effective than a thousand dull blades. Mm. One sharp sword to cut through to the truth. One sharp sword to cut through to what matters most, meaning cutting out what no longer matters in a person's life. And so, um, yeah, I don't know that anybody's asked me about my logo. It's, um, there it is right above me. Well, it's also, I mean, a sword in general is so provocative to begin with. And then you add in the sensuality of the water and what that means to you. It also reminds me just of how important words are and the choice of words and being really selective with the words that we choose to put out into the world. Um, I can spend a long time, you know, trying to name a character or trying to make sure that I'm expressing really the root of what I w- I'm trying to talk about and, and the idea of cutting away all of the extraneous until you can get to the real nugget of it. Um, that's, that's a process. That's, that's, um, that takes time and care. Um, so I just, and I know you work with speakers a lot, so I'm sure that you're constantly revising the, the written word. Um, so I'm, I'm very careful with my words and I'm also very aware of words. So I, I, to me that, that symbol is a reminder of the, the finding the nugget. Yes. Good. That's, that's perfect. So it's a, a perfect uh, characterization of, of my logo. Yeah. It's finding the nugget. It's cutting through and cutting away. And um, oh, it's good. It's good. And your process, it's amazing because that's the work. Most people don't know. You know, that is the work is to cut away, to cut through and to, to craft with just the right language, with just the right nuance, with just the right hint of of what's in this character versus what's not. I love it. I love it. Um, Sarah, thank you for joining me. This is, um, it's, now I've been looking forward to this as a conversation and I'm glad you've joined me here so that other people can join in on our conversation. So thank you. This is, thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk with you and um, I look forward to learning more about your work as well. So I appreciate it.
Thank you. So if people wanted to reach you, it's sarahbeerstock.com, B-I-E-R-S-T-O-C-K. Sarah with an H at the end of it, right? So sarahbeerstock.com. I will have uh, that in my show notes. Um, And I will say thank you once more. Thank you, Dr. Wayne. It was great. Uh, Okay. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. And I am your host. Dr. Wayne Purnell. I've had Sarah Beerstock with me today, and it is amazing. So thank you. Thanks for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most without influencer, Dr. Wayne Purnell. For more information, please go to onesharpsword.com. <laughs>